I'm Joe Forish, and this is You Say Data, I Say Data podcast. We talk about data, analytics, and its impact on business and society. We are the podcast for the Analytics Impact Network. Please visit us at analyticsimpactnetwork.org. Have you ever wondered how blockchain can reduce red tape and make your life easier? Also, did you know that cryptocurrency is very beneficial for many international nonprofit organizations? Finally, find out about how you can start your own fundraising campaign. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Christopher J. Stanfield. He is the Senior Director of Data and Operations at Pencils of Promise in New York City. In this role, he oversees all data systems, analytics, and global operations for the organization. Dr. Stanfield and his team are responsible for producing all impact reporting at Pencils of Promise and work to ensure that results are presented transparently and thoughtfully for both internal and external audiences. Dr. Stanfield has established himself as a thought leader in the field of international development, and prior to his role at Pencils of Promise, he dedicated his professional life to improving access to education and health services for people with disabilities living in rural areas. He received his doctorate from the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome to the program, CJ. It's really nice to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Joe. You're quite welcome. My first question is, I think, a pretty simple one. What exactly is Pencils of Promise? Yeah, Pencils of Promise is a for-purpose organization that works to provide quality education around the world. Uh, We work in Ghana, Guatemala, and Laos, and we focus on improving and supporting communities and uplifting primary education systems. Our our bread and butter is working with teachers, uh, empowering teachers to be the best version of themselves inside the classroom. And with that approach, getting the most out of the students that are in those classrooms. So uh, we work in remote areas of those three countries. We really inject more energy into where education is already thriving and already there's a driving passion towards education. Rather, we don't build schools. We don't provide programming where there isn't education, right? So we don't have a build it and you will come model. We have a model of identifying communities who are willing to learn, who care about education, and then we come in and partner with them to support the building of better infrastructure or enrollment in our teacher support program or providing them with uh, clean water for drinking. Uh, So a very holistic program to ensure that primary school students are given the best opportunity to succeed. It's quite the endeavor because there's so many different aspects, not Mm -hmm. only across countries, but within certain environments, as you said, that the people in those areas need to be supportive of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So you're not going in there, like you said, build it and we will come, or you're not trying to change the mentality there. You're providing a lot of resources for people who want to further the education of the young people in those areas. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And it's all, you know, adapted and customized to the needs of the communities, obviously, but also the broader cultural aspects. With that becomes, you know, providing uh, books and materials that kids can connect with. That's the furthest thing we do in that we customize all the materials we provide by having students be able to connect with what they're reading. Reading stories, 
that have names um, and characters and customs that they can connect with. Mm -hmm. And given that's part of the curriculum, I would imagine that most of the teachers are local teachers. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah, we work entirely in the public school education system. We don't hire teachers. Our work goes to providing workshops and coaching sessions. So that's what our team does. Our team will bring teachers together, teach them the skills, provide them with opportunities to grow and learn. And then we visit them one-on-one in the schools to reinforce these skills that they were taught at workshops. So Pencils of Promise is a educator professional development agency. I understand totally. Now, I really love the name Pencils of Promise. It's such a great name. Who created it? Yeah, it was all created by our founder, Adam Braun. Adam Braun sought out uh, years ago during some some traveling around the world. As the story goes, he would ask kids in all the different countries uh, if they could have anything in the world, what would you want? A boy that really connected with him said a pencil. So he returned home to, to the U.S. and for uh, his 25th birthday, he wanted to do a fundraiser to build a school in Laos, uh, Laos being a country that he very much connected with in his travels. And wow. yeah, that's where it all started. And, you know, he, he created the, the name, started with one school build. We have now built uh, 542 schools across three different countries. Wow, that's amazing. That's fantastic. I, I like how there was a story behind the naming of the organization, because I think having a great story to name something is much more powerful and it gets the message across so much better because you're not just picking something out of thin air, out of a hat. You actually have a real impetus behind why you're doing what you're doing. Now, you mentioned that you built 542 schools. Is that right? That's correct. Wow. Out of those schools, how many students have you educated thus far? So currently, as we speak, we have about 110,000 school uh, students enrolled in all of those schools. Wow. If you think about uh, primary school, five to six years varies in each country. Yes. Students progressing from year one all the way to year five or six, you continue that enrollment and bringing new students in, graduating students every year. So yeah, it's a, it's a continual flow. Uh, what's really cool and my favorite stat to share about our infrastructure is that 100% of those builds are open and operational to this day. So from 12 and a half years ago, when we built the very first school, which is a school that we continue to have a very strong relationship with. There is a great commitment and a strong sense of community, and I love it. How are you so successful? Again, going back to that community connection, our continual commitment to these individuals on a very grassroots level shows or is proven by this 100% operational over the course of 12 and a half years. It really sets us apart from other international development organizations, humanitarian aid, where it can be and often is a drop it and leave. You come in, drop your product, drop your training, do this, take a picture, tell everyone at home, then you go off and the resources, the, the initiative inevitably dies out over time is what we've created very much so is something that can live on right? and through the power of the community members that lead it. So it's very much driven by behavior change, buy-in on all levels. And once we do, quote unquote, exit a school, exit a community, we exit with the idea that everyone has the resources to continue the activities that we've encouraged. Oh, so there are schools that you've opened that are no longer under your purview. They're operating independently. 
So all schools, yeah, so uh, all schools um, operate independently from day one. So all schools are public schools is what we do is we provide the portion of the finances to actually build the infrastructure. But the school is always ran by the Ministry of Education. We we don't own any component of the school. Uh, we help with upkeep. We finance and support and fund repairs, add-ons to infrastructure. The teacher port program pay for the workshops. We pay for transportation to and from the workshops. We pay for the materials. So that's where donor dollars are going. Are for the materials to to do the thing, and then after. The initiative is delivered. There's no ownership on the aspect of, of POP or any affiliated donor. So you're essentially providing a service to all of these schools across the world. It's, it's purely out of uh, providing a service. Our product and what we offer as a company is our people. Our product is the individuals in Ghana, Guatemala, Miles, and New York City that the work to make these programs happen from the development, from the inception to the actual delivery. Mm -hmm. Those listeners out there wondering, the organization is headquartered in New York. That's correct. Yeah, we we are located in in New York City. What about the other locations? Yeah, but then our other offices are in Ghana, just outside of Accra in a town called Ho. In Guatemala, our headquarters are based in Consultanango which is um, about a four-hour drive outside of Guatemala City. And then in Laos, we are headquartered in Luang Prabang province, which is the most beautiful place in the world. So you've been there. Yeah, I've, I've actually, uh, I, I used to live in Laos uh, years ago. Wow, for how long? Off and on for almost three years. And so Laos is a very, very special place to me in, in a lot of different ways. Funny enough, I actually didn't know about Pencils of Promise when I was living in Laos. I only found out about it when I moved back to the U.S. and, and landed in New York. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Now, in terms of your role, what do you do for the organization? My title is the Senior Director of Data and Operations. In actuality, it's uh, very much split 50-50 between data and operations. Really? I really enjoy looking at ways in which employees can feel valued, can feel taken care of, can feel supported top to bottom. Uh, I really like the cross-cultural aspects of international development work. Having organizational-wide policies that can speak to different contexts and cultures, while also understanding when and where autonomy uh, should and can be provided. Right, right. You're doing all the behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, try to take care of the little bits, the nuanced things where others can find time consuming. So I can take that off their plate and open up space for, for everyone else to pursue their specific skill set. And how do you incorporate data into your role? From the data side of things, that's more of my historic background. Um, I'm a researcher by training. Doctoral dis- dissertation was on wheelchair uh, distribution and user behavior in rural areas of Laos. That's awesome. And a great story too. Now, getting back to your job a little bit, you mentioned before you also focus a lot on the supply chain. And that sounds like a really complex job because you're dealing with so many different countries, organizations within those countries and time zones. So how do you go about doing that more so from a data perspective? So I have a great interest in supply chain management and getting products into different parts of the world and then putting a very you know robust uh, research methods to practice and understanding 
how that user is engaging with that product. So through mixed methods, both quantitative and qualitative, painting a very full picture and telling a very comprehensive story about the user experience. And that's very much how I handle my my overview and oversight of the data that's being collected and analyzed and interpreted across Ghana and Guatemala and Laos is um, how can we tell the most comprehensive story about the impact that we're making? Okay. So for the external perspective, but then how can we use data in a real-time way to inform our progress and inform iteration? So you've explained how you use data externally. What about how you use it internally? I've very much preached the use of a, a feedback loop within our teams to make sure that all data that we're collecting is being understood, interpreted, and shared with our team members to where we're having results sharing meetings, to where we're talking about the data, we're talking about results, the good and the bad. The findings and failure, in my opinion, are just as important as your significant differences in effect sizes. It's, it's just as valuable to me to be able to show and understand what does not work and document that and share it and be transparent about that as it is to say, We've made a lot of great progress, and here's a great program that shows a massive effect size, and we're going to change the world. So I have continually have a dream to get more of our work in peer-reviewed journals. What are some of those journals that you would want to get your work into? I, I think anywhere from evaluation journals like the American Evaluation Association, various education journals. There's a handful of aid and development journals Plus One, we've actually, we're going through a, a review process right now with the Plus One folks. So yeah, I mean, just, I, I do believe that the data we collect and the analyses that we conduct are refined enough and the work that we're adding to the education space and international development space, I feel it can very much add to the academic literature. But then I also, coming from a history and in, in, in a background in academia, yeah, how are we able to navigate all of that? Yeah, so the the best example of our work in supply chain, and it's not a project that I directly oversee, but someone who I support a lot does oversee it. He's stationed in in Ghana, and in Ghana we have thousands of e-readers and circulations. So with these thousands of e-readers, uh, it's very important to for us to identify what products are working, what products are broken, what products are out to the manufacturer for re- repairs. We were collecting all of this information in a, in a spreadsheet and it became chaos. It sounds a lot worse than chaos. It sounds like fingernails on the chalkboard. So what did you do? So is what we ended up doing is uh, we developed a barcoding system and integrated that into Salesforce. I have a very robust use of Salesforce throughout the company, both in a very traditional uh, fundraising side, and but from the programmatic side, uh, we have a very innovative use of the platform, and that's how we track all of our work. So we track all of our school builds, all right. of our teacher uh, coaching sessions, all of our teacher observations, student literacy data, all, all of the data that we collect about our programs is stored and cleaned reported, put into dashboards, visualized in Salesforce. Got it. And then once you get the information in Salesforce, are you extracting it and using any other sort of software to analyze data for any sorts of analyses like regression, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So for student literacy, we run 
regressions on all of the yearly uh, student literacy data. So we collect pre and post tests at the beginning and end of every school year. Uh, during COVID, that's been a little tricky because schools have been closed and now they're back open in all three countries with the most restrictions happening in, in Guatemala. But in a typical school year, student literacy assessments are taken at the beginning and end of every school year. And then those two data points are ran through a regression um, in either STATA or R. I'm familiar with R. Our um, our data analyst, very skilled in STATA, and then gained a lot of great skill in R. I've spent a good amount of time in R, and I understand that doing regressions in the program are relatively easy. Have you used R in any other way beyond regressions to look at your data sets? Another component in where we are using R is to look at a longitudinal study uh, data analysis and that we have tracked a cohort of students, the same cohort of students from third to fourth to fifth grade in Laos, uh, giving them the, the same student literacy assessment at the beginning and end of every school year. And we are comparing that group of students who are, have been in uh, Pencils of Promise supported schools to a cohort of students who are in schools without Pencils of Promise support. We've maintained a, a very strong cohort throughout the three years with very low attrition, which we're all really excited about. Um, we believe that we've tracked even from year to year some pretty great looking changes in different components of, of the assessment. So uh, once this last timeline of data is collected here in the coming in the coming weeks, we'll have this full longitudinal data set that we can start to enter into our model that we've been refining over the the last year or so and then, yeah, starting seeing what different outputs are coming out and different ways in which uh, we can draw some interpretations. That's fantastic. And in the grander scheme of things, clearly technology and data have been impacting and changing education. But where do you see that change in the next, say, three to five years? The challenge that will forever face organizations like Pencils of Promise that primarily partner with remote communities where there's little access not only to Wi-Fi connections, but electricity at times. Of course. Is understanding how these more urban centers will likely become more digital faster and trying to understand ways in which we can mitigate inevitable gaps. And maybe this digitizing of urban centers will expedite and increase the provision of electricity and broadband throughout countries and throughout components of the world. But yeah, I I think in the short term to what you say, three to five years, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and that I don't know about in three to five years if the communities we partner with will have the infrastructure for broadband and robust electricity. So what can we do to try to help set these communities up for success so they're not getting further and further behind? I hope so. So CJ, you mentioned a few data applications that you use and that you like. Are there any other data applications that you use? I also think there's going to be a lot of exciting applications for blockchain and a lot of different components. Oh, yeah. You, you mentioned that same before, that you were using blockchain in some aspect. Can you refresh my memory as to how you're using it? Yeah, absolutely. So one, from the fundraising perspective, we have a growing cryptocurrency network and community that are very excited about Pencils of Promise and the fact that we are in that world. It's a really energizing community to be a part of. There's a lot of excitement around initiatives and folks who care for and see the opportunity and potential in cryptocurrencies. Yeah. That's been really exciting recently. But from the programmatic side, 
I'm working on a project proposal right now where we want to explore the use of blockchain technology to get teacher certifications on a blockchain network in Ghana. Ooh, this is a very exciting use of blockchain. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? To kind of put this in perspective of why this is needed, if you can think about, go back to when you're in in university and you needed to confirm or provide a copy of your transcripts or maybe even your diploma. And you have to go to the registrar's office, you have to fill out the piece of paper, usually have to be there in person. And pay them like 25 bucks probably. (laughs) Pay them some money. And this very kind of like overly secure process just to get this thing with with a seal on it to send to a, maybe you're applying to grad school, maybe an employer, whatever it might be. A lot of those issues are being overcome through tech platforms. And so often when folks receive a credential, that paper certification is all they have. Right. It's, it's, it's either on your wall or in a closet or in your suitcase, right? <laughs> yeah. And in places like Ghana, we found through a survey that we distributed last year that this, this process is just incredibly overcomplicated. So right now you're developing it to help people with this problem. Yeah. So the, the idea is that we're going to, and it's very early stages in the point, like I quite literally have an outline of a project right. proposal right. on my computer right now and, and not anything that's, that's refined to action, but getting a lot of great insight from some folks to where we can partner with Ghanaian education services, some other stakeholders, some other tech partners, where we can build something, pilot it with some institutions, whether it be teacher colleges, high schools, primary schools, whatever it may be to really advance the opportunities for teachers in Ghana. Yeah. Hopefully once that works, you could use similar technology in other places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That'd be great. Now there's probably some listeners out there who want to know how they can help your organization. Is there any way Mm -hmm. that they could provide time, money, anything else that could help? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways to support pencilsofpromise.org. Click donate. You know, we have a lot of different options and ways to get engaged. One of our most unique ways to get, involved is through creating your own campaign. Going to our website, click get involved, and all the information will be right there where you can be directed and given assets to create your own campaign page. And then go on you know, by yourself, uh, tell all your friends and family about the organization, uh, yeah. create your own page and site. We'll communicate with you. We'll help you set everything up. And then you can always donate with cryptocurrency, pencilsofpromise.org backslash Bitcoin. Got it. Well, that's very incredible. Now I have one last question for you. It's a question that I ask all of my guests. Do you say data or data? Data. Absolutely. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I'm data through and through. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much, CJ. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to You Say Data I Say Data podcast. To become a member, sponsor, donor, or podcast guest, please visit us at analyticsimpactnetwork.org.